Hey, it's Brendan dropping in here on something special. I think the most important thing you can do in your life is to train yourself for real personal growth and success. What does that mean anyway? Well, you have to train your mindset and train your discipline so you can follow real habits of success so that you can break through, so you can win the day more often, so you can crush through all those fears and actually unlock your real potential for abundance and happiness and power and joy. But how? Well, like all learning and all breakthroughs, you have to choose first to learn, to learn from the best, to invest in yourself, to do the work, to do the daily work. You have to train with the best, and that's why we created Growth Day's Mastery Program. Listen, we're going to train you to make self-improvement a real way of life, to unlock your positive attitude and attributes at a whole new level, to get you way more productive and influential, to show you the life and career strategies that make you unstoppable and really work. But how do we do that? Well, Every single week, we bring you a new $50,000 or $100,000 keynote speaker, multimillionaire, or world's foremost expert to switch your brain into high-performance mode, to teach you what really works in wellness, in health, in mindset, in productivity. People who really help you unblock and move ahead with really practical strategies for changing your life, your relationships, your health, your career, your mission, your purpose. Every month, we unlock a new course that would have cost you thousands of dollars to buy from other teachers on brain health or positive psychology or confidence. Every year, we give you free tickets to an unbelievable motivational and transformational seminar. Every day, I give you an advanced life coaching audio to keep your mind sharp energized, focused, motivated, confident, ready to serve and to lead and to win and build your greatest future at the levels you dream of. And I promise you, you are capable of. Every day can truly be a growth day for you, but it takes mastery in life. And that's why we have our new program, Mastery Level in Growth Day. You can go to yearofmastery.com and it will direct you to our best program in Growth Day. This is for those who really want the advanced level, who really want a breakthrough, who are tired of, hey, listen, podcasts are great, but training is another level. Go to yearofmastery.com. You deserve to join the world's number one membership for advanced personal growth and success right now. This is a membership of the real people doing the real work who have a positive mindset, a growth mindset, a willingness to be a role model, to be a leader, to serve, who desperately and deeply and joyfully love personal development, to challenge themselves, to push themselves, to achieve great things in life. Go to yearofmastery.com. Let's go. Yearofmastery.com. What we found is high performers have extraordinarily positive emotions and positive relationships. So it's a complete myth that the top, you know, 5%, 10%, 15% somehow have, you know, are lonely or more divorced than other people or it's just not true. They cared about relationships, which is one reason I love your show is that, I mean, what would high performance or achievement or greatness be if you didn't have somebody to share it with or you didn't give back?
Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. We have an exceptional human <laughs> being, Brendan Bouchard, in the house. Good my to man. see you, my man. Such an honor very, to be here. I'm very excited for Me this. Me too. This is one of the, you said this is one of the first interviews you've done in, in years. Yeah. You've got a, you know, at the time this is coming out, you'll have tons of interviews, but uh, we're doing this well in advance. And I'm excited to talk about your new book, among many things, which is called High Performance Habits. How Extraordinary People Become That Way. So if you haven't already picked this up, I've already been talking about it, make sure you go get it right now on Amazon. You can go to brendan.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go anywhere where books are sold. Get this book. You spent the last two, three years researching yeah. consistently, constantly on how people become extraordinary. Yeah. And I'm I'm obsessed with greatness. I know you how, love this and stuff. That's why I knew great. this interview was gonna be amazing. Yes. It's like we could vibe on this all day long. Exactly. Yeah. I probably haven't done the in detailed research, like the scientific, yeah. you know, Harvard backed studies the way you have. Yeah. So I'm excited to to tap into this and really understand why and how people can become great at anything that they, they want to do in their personal life, their relationships, financially, whatever it may be their yeah. dream is. And I know you've paved the way with this, so I'm very excited about this. But you have written three number one New York Times bestsellers or two? Uh, three New York Times bestsellers. This is the sixth book, and uh, all, all five previous books were number one on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or something like that. So we've... We've been at it, and this is, you know, people always say, well, you're the YouTube guy or you're the Facebook guy. I'm like, I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I only learned marketing or, or doing stuff like this so I could support the writing. Of course. Well, you've, so, done, you've done a great job of marketing yourself. You're, thanks. I think, one of the top, what is it, top 100 most followed public figures on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, how many millions of followers do you have on your personal page now? Uh, five million on my personal page, 10 million Total. across all of all, our pages. All pages, yeah. So we have pages like Motivation for Smart People, of you know, which is not my face on it, but that's my page for Motivation. So, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, amazing. Kind of, it's, it's been surprising, but this is the first in-depth interview I've done in probably four years. Mm, amazing. And so we talked about that a little bit, you know, course, this morning yeah. at breakfast. Yeah. It's just like, this is not what I usually do because I'm usually the guy out there teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm learning to step out a little bit more and share a little more of my personal background and stories because that mm -hmm. really hasn't been the thrust of my books and work. Right. So that's been a big part of, yeah. you know, wanting to do this. And I love your show so much. I appreciate it. I was so excited for this because you're one of the few guys out there doing podcasts who's talking about holistic greatness. Right. You know, it's not a, a tactic or a, a hack, hack here. Yeah. yeah, it's relationships. I mean, you, you talk about relationships, you talk about making a difference, and there's a lot of mm -hmm. podcasters that never say the word service, which drives me insane. Mm -hmm. They never say the word love. And like, that's real life. You know, even with high performers, we'll talk about some of the research behind it, but a lot of people think it's lonely at the top, or they think that high performers are, you know, obsessive, crazy maniacs. What we found is high performers have extraordinarily positive emotions and positive relationships. So it's a complete myth that the top, you know, 5%, 10%, 15% somehow have, you know, are lonely or more divorced than other people. Mm -hmm. or It's just not true. Mm. They cared about relationships, which is one reason I love your show, is that, I mean, what would high performance or achievement or greatness be if you didn't have somebody to share it with or you didn't give back? But that's what a lot of the podcasters talk about is this tactic. Mm -hmm. Or it's, I'm, I'm talking right, about right, right. world-class performance, but I'm not going to talk about marriage or relationships. I'm like, mm -hmm. try to have world-class performance Without a supportive spouse. Go for it, dude. It's, <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Powerful. I'm excited about this, man. Before I, I kind of dive into about all the habits and the stuff you learned and what you're going to share today, I got a confession. Yeah. Confession. Love it. Um, I You can't have your money back. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. No, here's my confession. I'm going to be honest for a second because I don't think I've ever done this on the show. Uh, I judged you for many years uh. when I first learned about you. And it's, I think it's because I didn't meet you and I didn't hear about you from other people. And, mm. I, and I'm glad you're doing more media right now yeah. and opening up and having the vlog come out here because I think because I didn't know enough about you personally, besides what you shared was like the stories, the same stories. Yeah. I was like, I don't know enough about him to like feel him out, to feel comfortable yet. Yes. To have like a positive. I was kind of neutral. I was like, I don't know if I like him or I don't yeah. like him. Yeah. So I want to, I want to say I apologize for judging you because- wow. It's, uh, you know, you're completely opposite of what I had no clue what I was thinking about in my mind for, uh, for, for some time. And, uh, you know, everything that you've done has exceeded the expectation of so many people and you continue to serve at a high level. And I think that's, what's powerful to talk about is service Yeah, is sure. We have our own stuff we're all working on all the time, but you have stepped up to serve so many people and you've committed to learning the things you need to learn to reach more people with powerful messages. Yes. And uh, I, I usually acknowledge my guests at the end, but I want to acknowledge you now for your level of commitment to putting yourself out there, funny. serving people, giving great information, spending two years in the dungeon to, to research <laughs> like how to help more people. Yeah. And yes, you're benefiting me as well. You run a business just like myself, so we're all going to benefit. Yeah. But I think your level of commitment to your mission is what really stands out to me. And the more I get to hang out with you and know you, it's like I really enjoy our time together. So totally. I hope we get to spend more time together. Yeah, me too. Hope you I, accept my apology for I, judging I don't you, think even though you didn't either. know I was doing it. But I get that all the time. Yeah. So, you know, our, our, our great example, our, our seminars, you know, 2,000 people from 40 countries around the world, half of them show up and they're like, who, who are this? you? <laughs> like I've watched his YouTube yeah, yeah. or I've seen his Facebook, but I tell people... I would say my most vulnerable place is usually on stage. So people who've seen me on stage, they always go, oh my God, I didn't know you were like that. And part of that reason isn't because um, I, I'm, I'm like scared of sharing my life. Mm -hmm. It's because of what I do. Like I said, my first move, I'm a writer. My second move is I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. Both of those things are kind of behind the scenes. And so when it comes time, when Instagram came out, everyone's like, why aren't you on Instagram yet? I'm like, dude, because... I'm not, I don't really show that part of my life or I don't have a lot of pictures with a, a lot of the celebrities that we work with because I sign NDAs and I sign, you know, confidentiality agreements so I can work with them and get in their personal lives. I've always been the guy who gets into people's personal lives and helps them through it. Never then like turn it to the selfie and say, well, this is what I'm going through. Yeah. And in some ways though, that was a mistake because I think I was just, I've always believed in a role like mine, I'm a writer, I'm a coach, and I'm a trainer. My job is to share things that are relevant to the teaching point. So it's what am I trying to teach? Now I'll share case studies about my life or some research, uh, but it's pretty limited towards only what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And people sign up for me to teach a very specific thing. So they're not seeing the whole picture of my life, they're just learning that specific thing. So I think it also left a lot of people going, Okay, he's super successful, but I don't know anything about him. Right, right. And that created... It's hard to trust people you don't know anything about. Yes. And, or you read the Motivation Manifesto, right? There is no Brendan in that book. Mm. The publisher turned, famously turned down the book. We had a $2 million book deal. I turn in the book, and the editor goes, what the hell is this? You, you wrote it like it's you know 1776. <laughs> You're not... There's not one story of you in here. Your audience wants to know about you. I'm like, yeah, but that's not what I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. I'm writing for the art. 
And so they said, we can't publish and we can't, this book is unmarketable. So you wrote a $2 million check back. <laughs> wrote it back, which is painful because I already spent it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then you went and sold a million copies. Yeah. Then we went into 30 weeks, uh, 32 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list after crazy. they turned it down. With no publisher. Well, I guess you had like a- Yeah, a, we went to Hay House yeah, and yeah. they supported it and distributed wow. it and did a great job on it. And I love them and their community really got behind the book because they knew I wrote it for the art, not for the, I didn't sell out on the book. It was, this was my artistic. My art has never been like talking about Brendan. My art has been, I want to teach, but I want to teach in a way that really hits you in the heart mm -hmm. and gives you habits that you can implement in your life. But- that also took me out of the picture a little bit because I didn't want to be the guru. I didn't want to be, you know, I'm from Montana. We're pretty private there. Mm -hmm. And one of our main sayings there is, you know, the time to have the map is before you enter the woods. So I just wanted to hand people the map. I didn't want to hand people like, look at me. Um, I also had a, a, a big influence from my high school journalism teacher. And she said, there's two kinds of people. One who walks into a room and goes, here I am. And the other person walks into the room and goes, there you are. And so I've always been more like, kind of like you, I want to ask people questions and mm -hmm. curious. So my focus has always been outwards and not in. I think that did cost me some trust in the marketplace because people are like, I just don't know him. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping with the book, I added some more stories. <laughs> I also know the number one criticism of this book is going to be, when he talks about extraordinary people, really the only stories in here are about himself. And I let the data and the research and the strategies speak up. for themselves. Mm. Yeah, because I don't think, um, I even say it in the book, I think if, if you want personal profiles of extraordinary people, I'm like, go listen to podcasts. Right. You know, they should listen to yours. Mine is more, this is very strategic. This is what to do. And I think there'll be some criticism because I do share a lot of my uh, habits in here. Mm -hmm. But I also hope that it gives people a little more insight into wow. my life. Let's get into some of the habits. What are, what are some of the key habits then? That you yeah. that maybe you thought were like the habits of really extraordinary people, but actually they weren't them. And yeah. then the new ones that okay. you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was actually yeah. a key habit. Yeah, I always thought it was something else, but it's actually this thing. Yeah, uh, I was wrong <laughs> a lot. So background on the book: this is the world's largest study of high performers ever done. We have data from 195 countries. We surveyed and found the data set we pulled was from first my audience, mm -hmm. um, we know, which is over 10 million fans and followers, but also a lot of people don't know I've graduated over 2 million people have registered for my online courses or video series. Crazy. And over 100 million video views. Well, we scraped all of the comments, scraped all the user feedback, wow. did a huge data set of just what are people struggling with? What do they say works? What helps them break through? That gave me an initial kind of data set of like, I think this is what really works. I've been teaching this most of the stuff for 10 years too, and I've been coaching it. So I had, I had my personal opinions mm -hmm. and I had about probably 20 or 30 from that data set and 10 years coaching. I was like, it's probably about these 15 or 20 habits. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, by the way, all of them. Right. And there's also but, a lot of other books about habits out yes. there. There's Stephen Covey's book. Yeah. There's The Power of Habit. There's lots of books on habit. So this is a whole nother thing. It's like, why another book on habits? Yes. Yeah. But there was always a big hole. Either there wasn't research into which habits empirically proven to move the needle, mm -hmm. or it was just kind of, uh, you know, because it was shared from a personal perspective, or it was just about how to set habits. The question is, which habits have proven to move the needle towards high performance over and over? Because high performance means succeeding beyond standard norms 
consistently over the long term. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to measure that to know. Yeah. And so there's six of them, and that's what this book is about. There's it's split, which I didn't plan on, into personal habits and social habits. Huh. And there's things in there, and I'll get to those. But to to answer your question of like what I thought would be, I thought things like, oh, this will this one will piss you off, piss me off. <laughs> Creativity is not strongly correlated with high performance. Mm. And if you told me that seven years ago, I would have fought with you for like two or three hours. But then uh, in one interview with one of the world's largest uh, CTOs, chief technology officers, he said, Brendan, you know, they're, they're a top 10 brand in the world. He said, we, we don't, uh, he said, my team, he said, I'm not creative. My team's not creative, but we know how to execute and scale. And execution and scale is really important to long-term high performance. Creativity might get you in the game, but a lot of people are creative but can't work their way out of a bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would argue that forever because I'm a creative, I'm a writer and a coach. And tra- I would have never thought that. Um, age, nationality, ethnicity, and here's a big one, compensation. Here's a big one, personality. Here's a big one, strengths. They are not correlated strongly with high performance. Some of them have weak correlations. Mm-hmm. And all those things, by the way, because if academics are listening to that, they're like, no, he's wrong. <laughs> and this is tied towards high performance. It's not that those aren't important. Those things can shape your mood, they can shape, you know, uh, lots of important life outcomes, well-being, health, happiness. But when we're talking about high performance, those are less important than these six. And what I keep telling people is, I'm not saying those aren't important. These just happen to be more important. So the six habits, you want me to do those? Sure, yeah, yeah. So the personal habits, and these are the ones that move the needle the most. Mm-hmm. Number one, high performers, you like this one, high performers seek clarity more often than their peers. Mm. And what that means for them is every situation they go into, they're seeking clarity and setting intention. And it's not like once in a while, they're doing it way more often. It's like, uh, uh, you, you know, I've been blessed to work with Oprah Winfrey. When she has a meeting, at the start of every meeting, she asks, what's our intention here? Mm. What's the intention of this meeting? Not what's the agenda, what do I do? What's the intention? That's every meeting. So she's mm. seeking clarity at the beginning of every meeting. That's why she's so amazing. Right? If you think about her whole career, she was always trying to have people seek clarity on who they were so they could be themselves. That's what high performers are doing. They just do it more often. They seek clarity before they shoot that video, before they have the podcast interview. Um, but specifically, we found three practices help you get better at seeking clarity. Uh, number one, they are seeking clarity in what we call the future four. So you've probably heard that successful people are more future-minded. Mm-hmm. It's true. And specifically what they're looking at, if you talk to a high performer, they're more clear about um, who do I want to be in this upcoming situation. And by the way, it's not about who I am. It's about who do I want to be. They're more future-oriented. They're more intentional about who they want to be in social situations. So it's like, I want to have this type of interaction with Lewis today. Mm-hmm. That, that's intentional. They're more clear about what skills they need to develop mm. to reach their next level of success. Right. Here's how you really know an underperformer. Open up their calendar and look for any evidence that they have planned their own curriculum for greatness. If they don't have classes or courses, if, they, if they're not actively skill building, there's no chance of high performance. Mm. I mean, maybe they can dumb luck into it for initial success, but high performance is long-term success. You got to be building your constantly skill sets. Constantly growing, constantly yes. learning, constantly growing. Being aware of it. And the last of the future four is... I know the service I want to provide in the future. Talk to any high performers, I'm sure you've interviewed, they kind of know the service and the difference they want to make. 
maybe not precisely, but they're asking the question. Mm -hmm. So that's some of what we know. They, they seek clarity. Um, and that's kind of the first practice is asking questions in those areas. Mm -hmm. And the other two real fast is uh, when you're seeking clarity, they're more clear about the feeling they want to have. Like an Olympic sprinter who's won gold is more likely to have said before he went or she went on the track, how do I want to feel out there? Not like just the result, like when I, mm. when the foot's in the block and I'm arms down, like what do I want to feel? Mm -hmm. Like they're very aware of the feeling they're trying to get. Yeah. I don't want to feel nervous and stressed. I want to feel calm and yes. clear and smooth. And yes. Yeah. And they're, they're doing that self-talk, which mm -hmm. is seeking clarity. And then the last one, which is really important, they're, they're clear about what's meaningful to them now and what might be different in the future which is something I didn't know until we did a lot of the interviews or the conversations is uh, a lot of people kind of know what I like now. They know what their passion is, but it's like, what's going to be meaningful to you later? Like in five years, they've thought about that. And, you know, I would say that, you know, they've done the work. So that's just the first habit. Mm. And so the book kind of opens with, with that story of like finding what's, we all have to decide who we are and what we want and how to get it at this stage of our life. And when we don't know that, you know, reaching high performance can be really hard. Yeah. It's all about clear vision for me. It's the first yes. chapter in my book is yes. the greatest leaders in the world have a clear vision. Love that. Yeah. That's it. And they got that vision by seeking clarity. Yes. That was the habit that gave them the vision. Mm -hmm. They were consistently seeking, like, how do I, what do I, I mean, they asked themselves more questions. Mm -hmm. That's one of our findings. They literally are doing more of the self-talk, asking more of the questions, which is so important. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and you, I love how you talked about this. You say the world cares less about your strengths and personality than about your service and meaningful contributions. Then mm -hmm. why do so many of us focus on our strengths and personality? Yeah. Oh, think? that was a huge finding. I, and I would, that's another one. I would have completely freaked out on anybody. <laughs> Strength finders, all these other books yes. out there, you know, it's like, yes, we focus on our strengths. And unfortunately one, that's, in the history of personal development, that is the greatest false dichotomy that there's mm -hmm. ever been. Focus mm -hmm. on your strengths, or your, it's like you have to do both. You have to do both. But what we found in our research, which surprised me, high performers do not report working on their strengths any more than regular people. Mm -hmm. So that's not what gives them the edge. Uh, one of the chapters opens up with this guy who wrote this email, really highly successful guy. And he wrote this email to me, he says, you know, and I'd put him through all this. I'd put him through StrengthsFinder, the Berkman, uh -huh. the Colby, the Myers-Briggs. Yeah, put him yeah. through everything. This is one of my first coaching clients ever. I knew everything about him. Mm -hmm. We knew all his background. We did all the, I mean, did all the homework. Had his peer review, you know, his 360 assessments from work. And then I watched him fail for two years. Mm. And he wrote me this email and he said, Brendan, stop telling me like what successful people are like because we know my strengths and I'm not getting ahead. And start telling me what they do. And that's what this book became about. It's like, what do you need to do? Mm. Because in, in this email he wrote this, which is where that finding came from, he said this was so good. Listen to this line. He said, as a leader, I have to be honest with myself that my mission and vision should never be made to bow down to my limited human strengths. I should have to rise up to my mission or vision. The strengths aren't the relevant thing is, the question is, what is necessary for me to develop into to reach that mission? Mm. It's like, your strengths are great. And right. it's like, yes, of course do your strengths. But that's kind of like, what I tell people is like, 
<laughs> if it, let's imagine you have a bear and that bear wants to go on top of this cliff over here and it's never been on the cliff and he wants to get that new honey up there, mm -hmm. right? Telling the bear to focus on the strengths, to go somewhere it's never gone before and do something it's never done before is stupid. It's like saying, <laughs> hey, you know what? Just try being more of a bear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if I just, you say, Brent, I got this big new vision. I just say, just try being more of Lewis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a spiritual level that feels good, mm -hmm. but you and I both know you're going to have to develop far beyond your comfort zones. Yeah. And strengths are typically comfort zones. Yeah. We got to overcome that and go to the next level. And develop new skills and overcome certain fears and all these other things that are going to help us get to the next level. Is yes. that right? Or, yeah. 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 The whole conversation of beyond the comfort zone really requires us to go beyond our strengths. Mm -hmm. It really requires that us. That is to, our comfort zone. That is our comfort zone. Well, we already know what we're good at. And the yeah. problem with all the strengths finder and all of the strengths-based movement is the assumption, and they're all written academically this way, based on what are called innate strengths. An innate strength is the assumption that you had that from birth. And that those innate strengths are what you focus on. And I'm like, well, if you had it at birth, you probably had it when you were 15 years old too. So if it's innate, you had it at 15. Are the strengths you had at 15 sufficient to serve you at 50? Mm. Hell no. You need to develop beyond what's innate and go to a whole other level. And so uh, I take on strengths right. in, in the book in that way. Uh, because, But I also say it almost doesn't matter. Because a lot of people have strengths and they suck at work because they're not doing these habits. Mm. Oh, I mean, how many people do you know, I know who are amazingly sure, sure. strong and they, their strengths finders are amazing and they don't do anything all day. That's it. Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, people. in the sports world, there's a lot of great, talented people who had the greatest gifts, but they still weren't able to, to win. Yeah. Or they were lazy or they wouldn't, you know, hustle or sacrifice their body because they just relied on their talents, yep. their strengths. Yeah. And so they were never able to get to the championship game or get on the best teams because – and they had all the talent in the world. And you're just like, if I was as gifted as this person, I would be incredible. Yes. You know? yes. I mean, that's the whole um, thing about the talent code or a lot of new, sort of newer research and performance. It just says what's more important is what you do with what you got to develop into the vision of the mission you need to serve. Mm -hmm. And so the book kind of lays out a lot of the science behind that yeah. and then goes into, you know, obviously most of it's oriented towards the six habits. Mm -hmm. So in terms of clarity, what is that habit that you take on on a daily or monthly basis with habit, uh, with clarity? What do you think about? You're like every morning, what am I clear about? Or, yeah. you know, how um, do you apply that habit to your life? Uh, I apply it in a couple of ways. First for me, uh, every situation I go into, I'm consistently asking like, what, what's the feeling I want to have here. If you ever see me teach, it's often, I would say, bring the joy. So I have joy triggers that I've set up in my mind that makes me more intentional mm. about things. So for example, I have a door frame trigger. Whenever I walk through a door, I say, bring the joy. So when I walk through that door right there, mm. it's like, bring the joy into this room. It's just a, it's just a mental trigger that I've set up mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. Every morning in the shower, I ask myself three questions. And not that I shower every morning, but <laughs> the ones I do, I, the first question I say, what can I be excited about today? So it forces me to be clear about what's going to draw joy, enthusiasm from me. Mm -hmm. Number two, I say, what might trip me up today? Because usually I know what's going on in the day. I'm like, what, what might mess me up? What might, where am I not perform well? What might bother me? And number three, I say, what can I do to surprise somebody today? to give a gift of appreciation or acknowledgement today. And so I think through that in the morning. So I think that helps me begin my day pretty clear. Um, then when I sit down before I do work, I literally look at my calendar of the day. I did this morning. 
and I look at whatever's going on the day and I think about it for 20 minutes. It's one of my 20 minute routines in the morning. I literally think about my calendar mm. for 20 minutes a day. People think that's crazy. But what I'm thinking through when I'm looking at the calendar, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have that call. What do I want to happen on that call? You know, what's my intention for that call? What's my goal for that call? What's the feeling for that call? How do I want to end that call? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have that time with Lewis. Like, how do I want to be there? And, and, and how can I make sure I enjoy it? Because it's a big deal. Mm. You know, I love your show. I, I want to do a good job. I, I want to share something good for the people, even though I have no idea what you're going to ask. In, right, right. In this. I, just, I, I, want, I want to be present for that and, and make sure uh, I, I'm, I'm really there, even though maybe I have a head cold today. You know, it's like, the, the, it's like just thinking through it. I think that helps me. It keeps me asking questions. Every Sunday, I do a life arenas assessment. That just means I think there's 10 areas of our life and I score myself in them. Mm-hmm. And this is about my 11th year of doing this. Wow. So each area of my life, you know, from, from emotional quality to happiness to relationships to time to hobby, etc., I just give myself a score of one to 10. And one means I suck. <laughs> and I, I was horrible in the previous week on that. 10 means I did a good job. And then I ask, how can I do better? Mm-hmm. It's my Sunday routine. Yeah. And it just keeps me clear. And it's not like I don't, Sometimes, like everyone else, you know, wonder what's going on or what I'm doing. But those habits, those were my habits. You have to establish your own for seeking clarity. Right. But when you have them, you weaponize your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Clarity, powerful thing. Without clarity, it's hard to achieve a dream. Yeah. It's hard to, to get better. It's hard to grow and, and be a high performer. Yeah, no clarity, no change. That's it. No goals, no growth. That's it. Uh, the second one that I see here is energy. Yeah. What do you mean by energy? Uh, so in is the way we peak energy, high high energy all day long. Yeah, no, it's just... not caffeinated energy, yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's the the habit is generate energy. Mm, okay, not necessarily have energy, create energy, create energy, and what they do, what, the way we measure that was kind of academic. Mental energy, which is tied to your focus and your stamina and your ability to manage complex tasks without too much mental stress. Uh, number two is emotional energy which is just the quality of your positive emotions. And number three is physical energy. High performers are 40% more likely to work out five times per week than the rest of their peers. So that means the top 15% most high-performing people in the world tend to work out five days per week. Mm. Uh, and that workout could be defined as, you know, 45-minute brisk walk or, you know, hit intensity or whatever it is. But 40% more likely. That's a huge finding. And what we found is high performers just have better well-being and happiness and physical conditioning than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, one stunning finding was uh, CEOs, senior executives, and business owners, they report expending as much energy as athletes who are competitive now. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I was surprised by that. I would have thought, you know, athletes would be 10% more. I mean, the emotional and mental energy yeah. they have to, the decision-making, the conversations, the big deals, the stakeness. Yeah. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot. And that's why, I mean, if you really want to achieve your dreams, you have to care for your body. Yeah. Your mind. It's why all these things, you know, finally resonating in the marketplace because of the science of meditation or taking a break or, you know, uh, Sleep, managing your sleep. own energy sleep is everything yeah. um and i think all of that is really important and mm-hmm. we say generate energy because there's this myth that you know some people have happiness or they have it's like 
No, you generate it. You don't have happiness. You generate you create it. Create it, yeah. You create it. And so the quality of your energy, you have to create. Like you and I both, I mean, if most of our audience knew our schedules, your schedule the last <laughs> yeah. five days is like, yeah, yeah. how is Lewis even able to focus <laughs> yeah. right now? And how are you able to get here and, and do this as well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's because we say, well, this is our mission. Mm-hmm. Show up, man. Yeah, it's you it. know, there's plenty of times I got to imagine you walked on the field and you were like, I'm spent exhausted you know yeah, yeah. i remember when you like flew down to compete in yeah, South i still America. play with, yeah i still play with the usa team handball yeah uh, team and a year ago I, I flew down to i remember i did an interview in miami and then flew out from miami and then went and just went right into training camp and then oh. played against brazil which is like you know olympic olympic qualifiers and yeah got our asses booked, but it was fun you know but you, i had to have clarity yeah, energy show and show up even when i was like oh we're gonna lose yeah like there's zero chance yeah it was like the worst team in the nba playing like the, the warriors and we were just like we had no chance yeah but i had to show up and give my best and and yeah. you have to set all these routines i mean you know mm-hmm. the, the amount of routines that tom brady has in his life oh, so that he can generate energy it's unbelievable stuns most people it's unbelievable and that's just the, that's the that's thing. what it takes if you want to be at takes. that level if you don't want to be at that level you don't have to do it yeah you don't have to do it I mean, everybody can just like, well, I'm going to go, you know, hit the Cinnabon, but it's like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's pretty like, good. <laughs> how do you want to feel at three o'clock? Yes. If you want to feel amazing at three o'clock, don't end lunch with a Cinnabon. You know, it's like, crazy. You have to- <laughs> Gosh, it's crazy. Like I'm 34 now and I, w- I could eat like sugar and bad food for oh my gosh. all my 20s. Right. Yeah. And now when I go off of sugar for like a month and then I just binge for a day, it's like, I literally can't walk the next day. My <laughs> back know. is like so it's stiff. Sugar like, oh my gosh. Like my whole body is exhausted. Inflammation. So much inflammation. Yes. Once I cut it out and then I bring it back, I'm like, yeah. Oh, I feel so old. Yeah. Well, and, uh, dude, I'm the same way. My seminars, like I, you know, we do four day event and it's just me. Whew. I usually have one or two big names come in, but it's me 12 hours a day, four days. Teaching. And I never sit down. High energy. I never yeah. sit down on stage. And super high energy. I mean, really going for it. Not just the clapping and the jumping, but really just spending heart. You know how hard it is. Of course. And uh, I had to, about the same time, when I was 35, I had a, a, a famous strength and conditioning coach backstage. He works with me in Usher. And, and he uh, he's like, what do you eat back here? And, you know, another guy came in and strapped the heart rate monitor machine. He goes, I'm equivalently burning, uh, equivalently working out at the marathon level every day. For four days. Mm. They're like, you're not eating. I was losing, on average, 11 pounds in my Crazy. seminars. Every, and I do eight events a year. So I was losing 88 pounds a year. You know, <sighs> it was like, uh, it's horrible for your health. So I had to learn how to eat. I had to learn, I do ice baths every night at my events, mm. which smart. no one loves to Dude, do that. I, here's the thing. I used to do it every day in football, like during the season. Yeah. And we, it sucks for the first month, but then you start to love it. Yes. Yeah. I have to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. you just start to, ah, uh, it feels so good. So. feels so good. After stage, you know, That's it's the like best. 12 hours. So those are, no one says I want a habit of taking an ice bath at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But if I want to be high performing on stage, that's the choice. Yeah. Now, obviously, people listening, you know, consult your doctor. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and only do it for 10 minutes. Don't <laughs> right, stay right. in for a half an hour. Yeah. Right, right. So, but all those things you have to. You so, have what energy. are your habits for energy? And the funny thing is, you sit down with high performers, they know them. They can tell you, I do this, 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 this. And you're like, man, you're on your game. You got it down. Yeah. And they're always probably looking to improve it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. They're always, but they're very Tweaking. aware of it. And they, and they, what I found was they get pissy if they're off it. Yeah, of course. I didn't meditate this morning, and I was like, ah, you know, I was kind of frustrated a little bit. Someone asked me when we were at our meeting today at the Soho House. He was like, how was your meditation? Because he knows I like to meditate. And I was like, you know, I missed this morning. I did yesterday, but I missed this morning. It's agitating when I miss yes. one of my habits. Yes. It's like, ugh, 
I that's, had to get up that, earlier and yeah. That is exactly what you just said. It it it, it just it really agitates high performers when they're mm-hmm. off their energetic habits. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the third big per, uh, personal habit, which by the way I've been teaching high performance for a decade. Uh, we have the number one seminar on that and uh, the number one online course, and I was wrong. I never knew this was a thing, and you're going to laugh because you're like, duh, dude, I could have sat you down. <laughs> but I just didn't know. I, I knew, I, I taught it as like a subtext, but I didn't know it was the thing, and that is high performers raise necessity. And what that means is they raise the necessity of performance in their mind before each performance. They say, I got to do great. And they give themselves reasons why. So they're connected to their why. But it's different than just giving, like, know your why is nice. Know your why and give yourself edge for it. What do you mean? For, let me give you an example. Two guys walking out on the track field. Mm-hmm. Who's going to win? Well, equal quality of experience, similar times, maybe they've raced before. The guy at the blocks who I'm going to bet on is the guy who came out and said, got to do this for my mom. They have a reason to perform at heightened levels. Mm. And they have connected to that over and over. Now, again, some of this, duh, Brendan. But the finding, the research is they just do that more often than underperformers or even you know good performers. Yeah. They're more connected to their reasons why and they're stirring it, man. It's like, and they do it from two angles. One angle is your, 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 like your internal standards. Like my values or my self-expectations say, I got to crush this because that's who I freaking am. Yeah. Like when you walk out, you're like, you're not going to, you know, screw around on when you're playing handball. You're like, yeah, yeah. this is who I'm losing. I'm an athlete. Yeah. I'm going to kick some ass here. <laughs> yeah. It's that self uh-huh. expectation. Okay. Then though, they pair it with external obligation. Like my team needs me to do this. The deadline says this time. There's, there's some kind of external, they don't call it pressure. My family, something bigger than themselves. Something probably. bigger than themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was another thing I was surprised by. They don't say, they, they rarely use the word pressure because they want it. Like people who use pressure, they, they, they don't want it. Mm-hmm. But high performers, I found they want, they like, they're connected. I'm doing this for a bigger cause, a bigger reason, a team. Or yeah, there's sometimes just like deadline. Like I'm, I'm an unbelievably high-performing writer when there's a deadline. Yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> a yeah. weapon, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before that, you know, I'm, I'm not always on my game. Sure. So, but if you have those reasons, so you got to have your internal reasons and your external reasons, and then your job is remind yourself of that more often. That's what's called raising necessity. And we were the first ones to kind of prove that with the data. Mm. And I was pretty stunned at that. Remember, these three aren't like my opinion. You might say, yeah, yeah, these are whatever. I'm like, but these ones are more important than everything else we measure. Really? These Over a hundred different habits. These are the ones that move the needle. So if you want to move the needle in your personal life, number one, seek clarity more often. Number two, generate energy with more consistency and will. And number three, raise necessity, raise the stakes before you go into any performance situation where that's that next sales call. Because, you know, it's easy. I think what high performers do, because of those three things, they're not going through the motions. It's not. There's more intentionality, mm-hmm. more exerting of will, certainly more discipline. That's what's, that's what's happening. That's why there's magic starting to happen. And then we compare it or combine it with the, the social habits, uh, which we can walk through. And it was like, that's what makes it all come together. Mm-hmm. You know? So what's the first social habit? Uh, increased productivity. 
it's kind of like no duh. High performers are productive dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what the uniqueness is, they've they're not just pushing more paper or checking more boxes because you know I b- both know a lot of people who you know their busy work isn't their life's work, so they don't feel fulfilled from their productivity. High performers are fulfilled from what they're accomplishing, which is a big 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 measure. Mm-hmm. And here's what they did: they identified their primary field of interest, which is a big deal. Then they identified what we call PQO, prolific quality output, which is what's the outputs that matter and get recognized and rewarded the most in this primary field of interest. And then they went all in at it. Mm-hmm. They became almost singular focuses. Like, you know, when, when Jobs came back to Apple and got rid of all the product lines and said, these are what we're doing, that was prolific quality output. We're going to be prolific quality output on these things, not those. So it's important. Like for me, I thought for, there was this period of my life where I thought my primary field of interest was personal development. And that's what most of the world knows me for. I, I, I've never posted any marketing on my Facebook page in terms of like marketing advice. Uh, I teach that, that's way down in my funnel. My front, my YouTube, my podcast, um, mm-hmm. Facebook are all just personal development. So I really identified with that. And then I launched my first book, Life's Golden Ticket, which was my life's message and it kind of bombed. It had bestseller, and then it died. You know, mm-hmm. bam, pow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it really bummed me out. And I realized why. I said, you know what? I've been thinking my primary field of interest is personal development. And so I folk. I, I did all the book. I read all the books. I went to all the seminars. I you know studied with the gurus. I became friends with you know Wayne Dyer and Tony mm-hmm. Robbins, the big names. That's what I thought it was. And then I had to make a shift, and I shift my primary field of interest to how to share a message and it completely shift. Mm. When I started learning, I was like, you know what my primary field of interest needs to be is how to share a message because I already got the message. Right. And then I said, well, what's prolific in this area? Well, what's prolific is, is, is what's recognized in this particular area right at that time, which is 2006 you know, and seven. Online video mm. was just coming in. I mean, YouTube and Facebook were young. YouTube was like 2004, I think, yeah. or 2005 or something. Young. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And, but what's mattering now is video. And I, I went all in, you know, I've created 13 online courses mm. because in my primary field of interest, sharing that personal development message was everything. So I learned how to share everything. And I went from, you know, kind of a, a busted uh, first book to in 18 months, 4.6 million in revenue. Wow. Because I learned how to sell. And I learned that sharing and selling a message was just as important because if you don't make the money, you can't sustain the message. I had the message, but I wasn't making any money. I was the poor broke writer dude. And I was like, so I shifted my primary field of interest and I went, I got to understand marketing. I got to understand business and what's going to be prolific in those, in what I'm doing now. And that's creating products to sell. Oh, I got to create more products, higher quality products. I showed you like my brochures and beautiful stuff. Just like super branding, you know, all my books, uh, you know, I, I created, I did all, all the covers of all my books mm-hmm. and I obsessed about, I was like the, the look and the feel and stuff I didn't care about before. And that changed everything. So what I tell people is if you want to increase, don't just get more stuff done, get more of the right stuff done mm-hmm. and really go in on it. I mean, super obsessed about the quality and really focus. You know, it's that old saying, the main thing is keep, is to keep the main thing the main thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you got, you be careful what your main thing is. That's tough. Because yeah. it, you know, and I, especially more abundance, high performers really struggle because you have 
I mean, 50 doors. Opportunities. 50 doors, and you want to take all of them. But you'd have to cut yourself up into 50 places. Yeah. So you got to really identify what that main thing. The book helps people figure out what is that prolific, what's my primary field of interest really at this stage of my life? Mm-hmm. What's the prolific quality output I need to do here? And then it teaches them the habits during the day, you know, like block time, like how to set intention and release tension, how to know when to quit on stuff, all that's in, in that book mm, as well. Powerful. So productivity, they know how yeah. to be productive on the right things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This, no, this one is surprising. The next habit is high performers develop influence more than those around them. It's not because they're cool. It's not, I mean, look at me. What, <laughs> I'm not getting ahead on my cool factor here, no, ladies and right. gentlemen. I just got these, these new Nikes. I those walk in the cool. store. I, I walk in the store. I was like, <laughs> what's your newest shoe? They're like these ones. I'm like, I need that. And they're like, why? I'm like, because Lewis has sneaks, man. I, got, <laughs> I, I, I wear suits or like... I'm either on stage in a suit or or at my you know studio, kind of like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of formal too. Sure, sure. Um, I was like, man, I gotta get some sneaks. Oh, so they look good, give me, man. I said, give me your newest sneak. So I'm not getting ahead on the cool. I don't develop influence because I'm cool. It's not your personality that gives you influence. Yeah. It's how you treat other people, mm-hmm. and specifically the way that people high performers gain influence is is this way too much? No, I'm, 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 it. I'm yeah, you know, get it. How do you treat develop, other people? Here, here's how you do, here's how you develop influence. If you really want high level of influence. Obviously, you got to do all the basics, treat people nice, be kind. And in, in the book, what I do is with each habit, I say, here's the basics. But then I go, here's what the needle mover practices are. The highest performing influencers, what they're doing, often they don't know they're doing it, by the way. The first thing they're doing is they're teaching people how to think. A lot of your show gained influence, I really believe, because you're really good at teaching people how to mm, think. Thank you. You're shaping their mindset. But high performers are really doing it. Uh, explicitly, and you do this too, where you say, here's how to think about that, guys. Or high-performing leaders tell their team, here's how we should be thinking about ourselves. Here's how we should be thinking about the competition. Here's how we think about the future of the company. They're saying it. They're explicit more often. Here's how to think. I mean, the, 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 the what is it? The seventh most read book in the history of the world is Think and Grow Rich. Crazy. It became that way because he taught people how to think about money. We have to tell our audience how to think about things. Mm. The second thing they're doing is they're challenging people. And they're challenging them in a specific way. If you listen to a great orator, is a great speaker, the pros, the one I know, I'm like, oh, this person studied speech before, is they challenge the audience in three ways. They challenge the audience's character. Then they challenge the audience's connections, their relationships. Then they challenge the audience's contributions, what they're giving. Mm. You hit all three of those, the audience is like, I have to listen to her. I have to listen to him because not only are they shaping how I should be thinking because maybe I was thinking wrong, but now they're pushing me because, you know, it's just like a great coach. The greatest coaches, they're not just saying throw the ball better. They're like, Lewis, you're a better man than that. Come on, man. Mm. They're saying, look, you're treating your team like crap. They're like, look, you're not contributing to the team here. That's a different challenge than just throw the ball faster or catch the thing, you know. So I studied that from them, but those are the primary things. And the third thing, of course, is role modeling. You know, standing, I mean, if, I, if I'm the bring the joy guy or I'm the honor the struggle guy or I'm the high performance guy and I'm off my game, mm-hmm. people are going to know that. Yeah. Know? So that's, I'm always trying to role model what I do, which is hard when you're talking about high performance because yeah. everyone thinks, well, don't you have a bad day? I'm like, dude, I, I have bad moments. I wouldn't say bad days because yeah. I don't want to go to bed and feel like the day was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think, that's why they're developing influence. And so much of this, 
when I talk about habits, I talk about it a different way than other people. Most people talk about habits like they just want the tricks to make it easy. This book is full of deliberate habits, hmm. meaning you have to consciously think about these and consciously will them consistently. It's not, I mean, this book, I think, will be kind of something people return to life over and over and over because it's not ever going to be easy. I didn't, want to write a, I didn't want to write an easy book. I want to write a book that said, this is the hard stuff, but if you do it, the payoff is there. Right. Yeah. No, influence is one of the most powerful things. And if you can't influence or enroll people in your vision, then it's going to be hard to make the vision come to life. Yeah. That's it. And so there's certain elements of how to gain that influence and how to be a role model and be effective and step up and all these different things you need to do yeah. to continue to be an enrolling machine in your vision. Yes. Yes. Whether you're working on a team, it's your business, it's whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but you've got to be supportive and enrolling to, to influence people. Yeah. So I firmly believe that. And for, I mean, we have a lot of friends who are probably listening who do social media or they're in marketing positions or they're trying to grow their business or their brand. And I tell people, I'll always say, you want, you want to make this podcast powerful? Look at the last six months. And ask yourself, how strategic have I been in telling my audience what to think? How strategic have I been in challenging my audience? Mm. How strategic have I been in role modeling the actions, thoughts, and feelings I want my people to do? And if you've been surviving and growing without that strategy, you're friggin' awesome and lucky. Now your next level of high performance is let's get more strategic. That's what's going to change the mm -hmm. game for a lot of people you know, generating their influence. Because mm -hmm. people are like, how do you have 5 million on Facebook? I'm like, I'm strategic about those things. It's a lot of like how to think, a lot of challenge. And like I'm, I'm constantly beating those because I also want people to do that for me. It's why I listen to your podcast. You do that for me. I listen to somebody, I was complimenting you, your, your uh, Sarah Blakely interview was just mm -hmm. outstanding. And uh, that inspired me to think many ways differently. Yeah. You know, and you know, I both dear friends with Tony. Uh, Robbins and <laughs> Robbins made his entire career on challenging people. Mm. I mean, your first hour at his seminar, you've been challenged more <laughs> than you've probably been challenged last decade of your life. Sure. And so, you know, be strategic about that. And if your leaders in the room, uh, stop placating your people. Like leaders, especially today, they want to be so popular with their people. And I say, popular is good, and that will come from kindness and role modeling the way. But challenge your people more strategically. Yeah. That's why I get to work with, you know, I work at the Fortune 50 CEO level as a high performance coach. Those guys, they don't mess around. Yeah. When they write that check to me, it's a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. They, if I don't get the result, I mean, in two weeks with them, if I don't start shifting them, I'm screwed. One of the first things I do with them, by the way, is I come in, I open up their calendar, and we just start obliterating things on their calendar. Stuff that's not the main thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly challenging them to return their focus to what matters. I'm constantly challenging them to challenge their teams. I'm constantly challenging them to be more optimistic or powerful or present, whatever it takes for that per person. I get paid because I challenge people more. That's it. So that's what led me to be a high performance coach. If mm -hmm. I didn't, and by the way, that's not comfortable for me. I'm from Montana. Yeah. I mean, if many of you guys listening who's been to my seminars, you meet my mom there. My mom's at my seminars. Mm -hmm. We are like the most laid back, like happy go lucky family you ever saw. Like my mom is, you know, uh, what is she, 70 this year? Yeah, 70. And she's just, she's a spark plug. She's amazing. Yeah. Just yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, so, but it was super, la la you know, like my family would never challenge somebody. <laughs> I, I didn't come from that. I had to learn that because if mm -hmm. I didn't do that, I wouldn't have the influence. I wouldn't achieve things. Mm -hmm. 
I think we need those challenges for ourselves. We need a challenge. It's like kind of like in a big game. You need a challenge to be able to see how how great you can become. Yes. You need a, a competitor or you need something that you feel a little bit scared about or a little bit unsure about to see how you can rise up yes. to that challenge. And uh, if there is no challenge, we're never going to perform at the highest level. Yeah. I think it's we got to constantly challenge ourselves if we want to step into something new. Otherwise, we've developed a strength and a comfort zone of what we're comfortable with. So I looked at my, my quotes. I was like, have I written much about greatness? And I found this quote um, that said, you know, the journey to greatness often begins the moment that challenge and contribution become more important than comfort and ease. Oh. That's a good one. Yeah. That's really good. And so we have to challenge ourselves, but the habit here, the social habit, is develop influence. And you develop influence. Teach people how to think. Role model away. And then make sure that you are challenging people in those three areas. Challenge their character. You got to do that delicately. The book teaches you how. Make sure you challenge relationships because that's so important. And challenge people what they're giving. And if you do that strategically enough, you know, part of your message in, in, in greatness is challenging people to follow their dreams. Yeah. You say it all the time. It's yeah. one reason I love your show. You're constantly challenging people to follow their dreams. And not just like, hey, follow your dreams. Like, hey, do this. Yeah. I love that. You know, so I think it's one of the reasons that the show is so awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. So that's the fifth one, right? Yeah. And the sixth and final. Sixth and final one, demonstrate courage. And I think all personal development people, of course, you know. But they actually, high performers do demonstrate courage. Like we can measure it from peer feedback. We can measure it from their self-assessments. We can measure it from, uh, we have this thing called the high performance indicator assessment. You take it, you get scored on all six habits. It's free on the internet, um, on the interwebs. Um, but this one peaked when we did the research and I didn't know it. And it is high performers are more willing to share their ideas, their thoughts, their feelings, what they need, what they want, and they do it more consistently than their peers. Even when there's risk or uncertainty, um, you do a great job. I know you have uh, the books coming out for you, uh, talking about men and being vulnerable. That's demonstrating courage. That's, yeah. you know, when you're not conditioned that way or you're not used to that, you know, that it might not seem like a big deal, but it, it is. Yeah. You know, um, when you talk about me doing this interview, that was like, it might not seem like demonstrating courage to go on Lewis Howes, but it is because I admire you. And I also, I'm not used to sharing a mm -hmm. lot. You know, I'm usually let the work speak for itself. Yeah. So I had to like, okay, I need to share, you know, being willing to share this in different and unique ways. Um, but I think for most people, it's when you were in your last meeting, did you share for your ideas and fight for them? Did you share for your did ideas? Did you share your ideas and fight for them? Mm. When you wanted to post that video and you were scared to death because people are going to make fun of you, did you do it? And when you wanted to tell your spouse that you're not getting what you need, did you say it? Because all those are demonstrating courage. It's not just, you know, courage, we think you're pulling someone out of the river or something. Mm. And that's part of it. And we talk about the different kinds of courage in the book. Yeah. But the ones that matter the most, move the needle the most, is sharing for and fighting for ideas, but also that vulnerability of sharing your wants and needs. I mean, high performers really communicate what they want. And you've probably seen this in networking opportunities. You meet somebody and they're like, I'm trying to meet this person. I'm trying to get that done. And they're not pushy with it. They're just clear. They're like, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is what I want. This is what I need. The highest performing relationships and marriages, we correlated marriage and demonstrating courage and they stay together longer. Mm. When you're willing to tell your spouse, I don't like that and work it through. 
that's hard for people. It's it's it, you know it's scary to put yourself out there or follow your dream or start a podcast or you know start the business. That stuff is scary. Mm-hmm. Telling your boss something's wrong. You know, high performers report being whistleblowers more than anybody else because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of courage to it go. Does. My boss is doing something wrong. Right. Um, so we teach how to how do you get to that without all the hype? Like, what do we know actually moves the needle in, in psychological courage, which has been actually measured a lot mm-hmm. in academics. Mm. I love it. I love the habits. And I know you guys should go get the book because there's a lot of research that backs all these and also steps and practices they can follow. Uh, So make sure you guys are getting this book. Um, I'm curious. I want to ask a couple of personal questions. Yeah. What's the fear you have the most right now in your life? The fear I have the most? um, Probably just, you know, anything ever happening to my family. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a very, very... You know, I'm a great son, I hope. You know, I lost my dad in 2009 to leukemia. And he was like my big mentor. And he got diagnosed on Mother's Day. Mm. Kind of woke up and walked in the hallway. And, you know, his back felt funny. And he kind of leaned against the hall a little dizzy. And mom's like, what's wrong with you? He's like, ah, I don't know. It's, big, it's kind of swollen back here. And they go to the doctor. And his, um, his spleen was enlarged, which is bad news. It usually means, you know, uh, your body's kicking off stem cells that aren't mm-hmm. good. Um, so I got diagnosed with AML, acute myeloid leukemia, and they said, you have a week to live. Now he made it, uh, 59 days. Wow. Um, the most important interview of my life was I called him and I wrote down all these like 30 life questions. Uh, and I interviewed him. It was the first time I ever called somebody and recorded anything. It was my first interview. This is my most valued interview. So I called him and I asked him all these questions. Uh, was he at the hospital? Cause I was at a seminar. And I didn't know. And I said, Dad, I'm going to cancel the seminar. I'm going to fly over. He goes, don't. Just finish the seminar. Come over. Wow. Finish the So like day two or three of the seminar, I call and I interview him for, you know, I think 60 minutes that first night, another 60 minutes. And then I flew over there. But I got that recording. And uh, it's just, I had such a great dad, a great mom. People say, you know, you're so lucky, Brendan. And I'm like, I, you know what? There's a lot of things I didn't luck out on. Worked hard. But I lucked out on the parent train. Mm. You know, we grew up with nothing. Parents, you know, raising four kids, um, broke. But we had abundance. You know, we had love and they believed in us. And my dad, uh, his seven messages to me in his life, which I try to share all the time. Actually, it's my most uh, uh, shared Facebook post ever. Mm. Um, this this particular post, every time I put up, it's been viewed 30 million times. Wow. Uh, and just my dad's thing. He said, be yourself. Be honest, do your best, treat, uh, I'm sorry, take care of your family, treat people with respect, be a good citizen, and follow your dreams. Pretty good for me. Like, there it is. (laughs) So, uh, but losing him Mm. really made me connect with the rest of my family. And so, fear is just, you know, family. So, I just want to. I don't want to lose people that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my whole story began when I learned that I that life is precious. In a car accident, nineteen year old kid. I know you know the story, but mm-hmm. I've had uh, sort of mortality motivation my entire life. Since mm-hmm. I mean, I was lucky, nineteen years old kid realizing I'm going to die. I mean, I'm standing on the hood of a car, bleeding out after a car accident. I got death. Another time in my life, and it was the book, of, I 
talk about in the book, The Charge, I had a brain injury, wrecked an ATV going 38 miles an hour, got taken to hospital, internal, I didn't know if we were internal bleeding, I'd snapped mm. my wrist, broke my ribs, threw out my shoulders, Ugh. massive concussion, and uh, which I didn't know until later, caused a lot of troubles in my life, with my mm. brain. And, but I sat in the hospital for three hours because no one spoke any English there and I didn't speak any Spanish. Wow. So they couldn't, when they, you know, the first thing when someone treats you is, are you allergic to any of the painkillers? Right. I couldn't answer the question. Like, I don't know. So I lay there for three hours. This oh. is 16 years after my first accident. And I was, you know, laying there and the, the lady keeps coming in and pressing on my chest cavity and that's checking for internal bleeding. And I knew that. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, okay, if this is, if this is my time, did I live and did I love and did I matter, which was my intention after my first car accident. And I was happy with all the answers, but the number, so I'd lived my life, I was happy. But the number one thing I thought about that moment was, you know, my wife and just family. I just didn't, you know, so I think yeah. my, my, it's not like I have recurring fears or debilitating fears, but I'm just, I just don't want to lose anybody I love anymore. Yeah. I've lost a lot of people um, two, two days ago. Um, Jess and I were actually here over at the hotel and I got a text from a dear high school friend who just got diagnosed with um, pretty severe breast cancer. And mm. That stuff, you know, I just want to lose people. <sighs> it's tough, but it's going to happen for yeah. everyone, right? Yeah. That's the thing that's challenging. Yeah, my dad's loss was huge. That was just awful, you know, because it was so fast. Yeah. And he'd been healthy. But AML just, you know, mm. it just takes you. And so uh, I'm good with it because I've, so many people know my story of the yeah. second chance yeah. and they share all around the world. They're like, man, I, I was in an accident. I lost somebody too. And I hear all that. And I'm, it's, it's one thing when you're hearing it and you're coaching or advising. It's another one when it's your dad, mm -hmm. you know, or somebody you care fun. about. So. Yeah. What about your mission to the world? What is your mission? And what would you like to achieve over the next? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's, it's one of the things you said probably made you like, I don't know about this guy because I'm always hammering home one message. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, all he has is that story. I'm like, it's not that all I have is that story. It's I tell the story because that's my message. My message, when I tell my car accident story, the message that comes out of it is at the end of your life, you're going to wonder if you lived a good life. And so you're going to ask yourself questions to evaluate, did I live that good life? Mm -hmm. My message is find out what those questions are for you. That's it. Because if you can identify, if you can think like, what, what would I ask? How would I know if I lived a good life? You'd ask yourself questions. What questions would you ask? Because if you know your questions, then you get to wake up every day and you can live intentionally. So when you have to answer those questions, if you have a moment of cognition before you die and you ask the questions, you can answer them from a place of, you know, connection, pride, heart, be like, I did, I, I am, I, I, you know, I want to affirmatively answer at the end of my life, I lived fully and I loved fully and I made my difference. That's what, that's what I asked that second time after the ATV accident. That's what I learned I was going to ask at the first accident. Hmm. Um, you know, take my passport away. Well, all, every, every time I'm out, <laughs> I'm out of the country, these, one of these accidents happens. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm a little too adventurous sometimes. But I, I, I've learned that maybe sharing that message too often, people go, yeah, yeah. But I go, that's it, man. You can't live with intention unless you know the questions you're actually going to ask at the end of your life. Mm -hmm. People say, well, how, how do I know what my purpose is? Know how you're going to 
gauge your purpose at the end. You got to know the questions. Well, as I tell people, identify four, five, ten questions you'd ask at the end of your life to see if you're happy, and then l- wake up, look at those dang questions, and do it live every day. Do it so every I do day. tonight when I go to bed. It's the same thing. Twenty-one years, I've never missed. I go to bed, my head, bed, my head hits the pillow. I go, did I live today? Did I love today? Did I matter today? And it's not like I can be like, hey, Lewis, every night, I'm, you know, I'm freaking awesome. And the answer is yes. I mean, there, I have bad days. But enough of them are yeses that I feel pretty good about my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's the message I want people to know. Mm. Find out what your questions are, live intentionally, so you're happy with them at the end. Mm. That's great, man. Hmm. What are you most grateful for right now? Um, well, one tactical one. I'm so happy to be done with this book, dude. <laughs> it's the best feeling, right? <laughs> oh my God. It's the best in the world. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy the book is done. Um, I'm super grateful that that is, you know, because I, you know, a lot of my friends and family are like, where did you go? I mean, literally three yeah, years. Yeah. Uh, we manage research teams, the largest study ever. I'm not an academic. So to, to put together a book like this, you know, 30 pages of resources and citations mm-hmm. to prove everything out with hardcore data analytics Honestly, it wasn't my strength, so it was exhausting. But it was what was required to serve at the next level because I wanted corporate audiences to be able to take this assessment and go, this is more rigorous than anything we've ever done. I wanted academics to love it. I wanted people who are entrepreneurs to go, I see what I can do. I, it, I just There's so many moving things I wanted this book to hit on, but it also exhausted me because it was just constant. So I'm super proud to have that done um, and, and grateful for that, mm-hmm. having come to, you know, coming to a book I'm proud of. Um, I'm extremely grateful for the patience and love of my family mm-hmm. in this particular project. It took me away more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually really grateful that I've gotten to know you better mm. and getting this to be the first like in-depth conversation with yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun. Because I think that you're very talented at holding a space for people, your team too, about holding a space for mm-hmm. people to just be like, this is me, this is what I you know yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and then I would also... You know, I'm always grateful for the God for the second chance I got from the standing on the hood of the car. Like, I got it. Like, knowing that each day you get up and you, it's not, you know, self-help, psychobabble. It's like knowing that life is limited and you get a second chance every morning of like showing the world more of who you are, you know, breathing, Mm -hmm. taking that walk with your love, just having that every day, that kind of a new beginning. Um, I feel that in my career. I'm sharing that with you now. And by the time this comes yeah. out, you know, yeah. I'll have a new show out, the Brendan show. Uh, I've never done that before. as a new opportunity. I'm grateful for the new opportunities. I think right now you and I have the ability to share our messages farther and wider than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. I'm super grateful that we're alive, like right now, at this time on the planet when I think our messages really need to be heard when we're, you know, surrounded sometimes yeah. by a culture, society, polit- politics is so negative mm-hmm. to, 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 to have a platform to share something good right now. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. Mm. What's the habit that you realize you need war- more work on or that you can improve on yourself? Um, definitely raising necessity. Uh, I think the challenge that you have when you're good is that you're good. <laughs> yeah. So You're like I'm doing pretty good already. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> the the better you get, the more expertise yeah. development you get, the easier it is to show up and go through the motions. Yeah, you don't have to prepare as much. You don't have to practice as much. You just yeah. you get results. Whatever you're gonna do is good enough. Yeah. But what happens with high performance? It eats at them because they know they got more in the tank, mm-hmm. and they're like, 
you know what, that was good, but I could have gone another. And it's not that they're dissatisfied. We take on that myth in this book. High performers are not dissatisfied. So people who say never be satisfied, they got to look at why they're saying that because it's not true because high performers are satisfied. They're, they're striving satisfied. doesn't mean they're not striving for the next big thing, want to become better, but they're happy. Mm-hmm. High performers are happier than all of their peers. I mean, by significant, almost double digits. So it's really significant. Um, but I think for me, I need to constantly be reminding myself like, okay, what is the reason you need to perform really well right now? And I need to be more consistent about that question. Um, so I set up triggers in my life to do that, you know, um, from every time I stand in line, I have a line trigger, I have door mm-hmm. triggers, mm-hmm. I have phone triggers, Smart. you know? So when I stand in line, I always say, what level am I right now in terms of my presence and energy? Scale one to 10. One, I suck, I'm dead, I'm not even alive, not even feeling grateful, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 10, I'm like, I'm vibrant, I'm joyous, here I am. Um, and I, I rate myself consistently on that and it, yeah. it just retouches me like the need, I, I want to feel it's necessary to be grateful. I want to feel it's necessary to be great. I want to feel it's necessary to do my best, but I, you don't get that without reminders. So you got to set up alarms or triggers or some, you know, note cards around that, whatever it is, it takes for you to have that. But I know for me, Ray's, after the research, I didn't get how, I mean, I mean, you're talking from every athlete to every high CEO, to, this is what they did. They're, and I didn't find this, I, you'll see all the questions I asked them in the book. I really had to dial in their psyche. Mm. And when we found that, I was like, is that a thing <laughs> that they'd really, that's, I mean, but they all do. And so it inspired me to that level. I'm like, I'm going to raise my necessity and I'll, I'm going to practice everything in the book to get that up a little higher. Mm, I like that. Yeah. What's the first thing you're going to raise in the necessity in um, terms of your business or relationships or health or what, whatever uh, your life? I would say uh, I'm going to raise necessity on probably at this point in my life sharing more. And we talked about that yeah. this morning because yeah. I never, it never it wasn't necessary. Yeah. I, I made my whole career training. Here's a problem. You, you're dealing with disappointment. You're dealing with stress. You had a fight with your you know, lover. You don't feel fully charged. You don't feel connected. You don't feel like you're contributing. Here's the answer. Steps one, two, three, and four, because I knew that from the research or from mm-hmm. my coaching experience, but I didn't share a lot into that. Yeah. And I probably need to read your book, <laughs> Masculinity. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's something there. I don't yeah. know. So I just didn't feel like it was necessary to share yeah. Brendan. So I'm demonstrating courage, I hope, by making a show called The Brendan Show. Because right. I feel like <laughs> for me to be able to pull that off without feeling like I should be punched in the face, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to like demonstrate the courage of like, I'm going mm. to raise the necessity to share more. Mm. Yeah. You're going to own it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, final question, final couple questions. Well, before I ask them, is there any question you have for me or anything you wish I would have asked you so far? Anything you wish you? No, man, this is awesome. Uh, no, question for you, which of, which of those, you know, habits mm. would you work on? And- <sighs> I mean, every one of them, but I think courage. I mm. think it's always being courageous to say what I think, to uh, do the the things that are the right things and not, hold back in any way because I'm afraid of hurting someone. I'm afraid Mm of upsetting a situation or I'm afraid of looking bad or whatever it may be, whatever the fear may be in that moment. So I think courage stands out for me the most right now. Um, I would say, and then I think necessity would be the next one. It's like Mm -hmm. constantly like challenging myself to be, uh, 
more prepared in situations. Cause a lot of times I just go on stage and I just like, I really haven't prepared anything. I'm 10 minutes before I'm like, what do I do? And then I just, I figure it out and I go and cause we've had so many reps. Yes. Yes. You know, you're way better than me on stage, but it's like, I've had, you know, eight years of reps now of training that yeah. I'm like, I can do good. I can do 80% and it gets a great result, yeah. you know? Yeah. But then afterwards I'm like, I just know I didn't give everything that I should have. Yeah. Like, I got a tip for you on that one. Yeah. Uh, knowing your work legacy. Mm-hmm. Here's your challenge. Your back, your backstage trigger. Every time you walk on the stage, go, if this footage is the last of me ever. That's a good one. I like that one. That's a good one. Is there recording? How are you going to show up? Yeah. yeah. If that, I do that every time. What are you going to say? How are you going to show is, up? This is if, if, if even if I because sometimes I'm not prepared, just like you. I mean, I hit five cities, but you know, here's twenty thousand people in this arena. Here's two thousand at my event. You know, thousand bucks a ticket. The expectation's yeah, yeah. insane. So I got to be prepared for sometimes, but sometimes I don't have to be prepared because you know it's something I'm doing is, is for somebody else. Uh, so it's easy to show up and not give. So it's like because legacy is so important it to you. Big. I'm like, even if you're not prepared, if it was the last footage ever. That's good. Yeah. You give your best, you know, you do your best. So those would be for me. Um, cool. Well, final uh, one, two questions. The first one is called the three truths mm-hmm. and you've written many books already. Number one, New York Times bestseller. You've sold millions of copies. You've done the Brendan show. Now you've done everything you've ever wanted to do. You've created it. And this is the last day, 70 years from now for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Theoretically. Mm-hmm. You've done everything. Any mm-hmm. dream, any raising the necessity, you did it, achieved it. Mm-hmm. Like nothing else you can do. Yeah. You've conquered whatever you wanted to conquer. And everything's been erased for whatever reason. Every piece of content you put out there, all your followers have nothing to see of yours. No books. Sci fi no, <laughs> no photos yeah. on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. You have a piece of paper and a pen to write down your three final truths. So yes. this would be your last message to the world. Yes. And the only thing that's recorded. What you write down is three truths back to the world. I kind of have an idea what you might already say, but what would those three things yeah. be? Well, I'll tell you what you know I'm going to say, yes. but then I'll answer it in a different way too. Perfect. Um, for me, it would be live, love, matter. And it'd be something around those truths. Because mm-hmm. like, at the end of your life, what I found, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to give perspective to this, but for 20 years I've been telling people to find those questions and no matter what, and I, I don't know if you know this, but I volunteered in hospices for a decade. Mm. I've been with a lot of people in their last moments, weeks, and months. I've been, I've been around a lot of that in my life because I wanted to see if what I experienced on that car was what other people experienced. And in some ways, it was. In some ways, at the end, we all wanted to know, did I live and how that was and did I love and did I matter? Um, but hopefully that wouldn't be erased. But... Uh, you know, if, if it's related into greatness, I say number one, like the truths are knowing that, you know, outside of those, the truth is life will never be joyous unless you bring the joy. I really feel like that. So many people are waiting to have happiness and they're just, they're waiting to like, well, maybe when my boss loosens up, I'll loosen up. Or, you know, when, 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 when she's vulnerable, I'll be vulnerable. Or it's like, we're waiting for something. I'm like, it's not, your life will never be what it's is going to be unless you bring that thing. You know, for me, I wanted to be, uh, I, I want to be more bold in my life. That was one of my goals because I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that guy who would just like go out and do the things I do now. So I made gold like, a, I was like, bold is an intention. I set it as an alarm on my phone. Would, like, my alarm would go off three times a day and bold would pop up. 
and I conditioned myself over seven years to be more bold, which is a big deal for me. Um, and because I wanted, I wanted that. I had to learn how to bring that. So whatever you want in life, you got to bring it. I would say number two, honor the struggle. Like so many people bemoan the hardship, mm-hmm. and they hate it. And I would say, you know, anything you, you anything you apply hate to quickly dies. You got a dream, and you're hating the process. You apply hate to the process, the dream's gonna die. You know, it's like don't don't. You know, be very be very careful of what you put hate or things to. And most people do that with hardship. And I've always seen hardship as like I'm going to honor this process. Sort of, it's a little samurai mentality. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm going to honor that this is difficult because that is precisely what's needed. Yeah. And then the last truth would be, you'll never feel good about life unless you serve and connect with other people, because you can do the first two. But if you're not serving and connecting with other people, you'll never feel good about life. You might have a good life, right? have the good life. You could make a lot of money taking advantage of people. People do that. Right. But you'll never feel good about life unless you serve and connect with other people. And a lot of, and one of the things in, in courage that just came to my mind that we found from the research, we kept digging down about courage. Courage, courage ultimately comes from curiosity, which is such a weird thing. I didn't know that either. But you don't, you can't, courageously connect with other people unless you're like, I'm curious to what they would think about this or well, I'm curious about them. You, you'll never try something new unless you're like, I'm curious to how that turned out. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go for the, you know, the, the gold at the stars unless you're like, I'm curious if I can do it. Like, you, have to, you have to wonder, like, is that possible? And so part of, I think, people's next development is being more curious about what happens if you did serve at a bigger level. Because the truth is you never feel good about life unless you do. Wow. There you go. Make sure you guys get the book, High Performance Habits. Go get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or brendan.com, correct? Brendan.com, is that the best place? Absolutely. Um, At Brendan Everywhere or Brendan Bouchard everywhere? At Brendan Bouchard everywhere. At Brendan Bouchard everywhere on social media. You are taking over the world, my friend, and it's uh, it's good to be connected and, and learn more about everything you're up to, and I'm I'm here to support. So uh, final question is what is your definition of greatness? (laughs) i've heard so many of your guests do it and i was like man i'm not sure what i would would even what what i would say about that um but i do think the i wrote a little bit about this in the motivation manifesto because i was really like what is that thing and i think it's achieving your own sense of personal freedom whatever it is i define personal freedom as the ability to be oneself fully and the ability to pursue things that are deeply meaningful to you i think that's when you find freedom yeah. Now that's my definition, uh-huh. but I think when if you get to the end of your life like I, I lived freely, you know, or I loved freely, or I, I did my thing, it was like when you feel that you you're you're living your own personal freedom, whatever that means. I think that's magical. So I don't know if I have the the answer for everybody else, but you know, for, for me, it's when I feel free in life, it's I'm being myself fully, and I'm doing things that I deeply care about. Mm. Like this right now, I feel free right now. This is great. Right, that's how I would say. There you go. If I'm being myself and I love what I'm doing right now, I feel great. Sure, sure. There you go. Brandon Bouchard. Thank you so man. much, man. Appreciate Thanks for it. Me. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Brendan, and I want to tell you about Circle and how powerful it is if you're trying to build 
your online community outside of Facebook groups. You know, I had this problem a couple years ago where I just started noticing when I was running a Facebook group, um, really Facebook was incentivized to kind of steal my customer and steal my audience. So they'd recommend other things I didn't like, or honestly, my members were losing my posts in the feed. I didn't really have the information or the data about the people in the group that I wanted. It was hard to actually communicate with them offline, out of the group. And most importantly, it was hard to sell stuff and have an actual business from it without driving them to other places. And then came along Circle. And it's just at the website circle.so. So just go to circle.so. And you can see that they have built this incredible platform that allows you to host a community, go live in that community, and really segment the community into these different spaces where you can give people access to different levels of content or community, which I absolutely love. Because, you know, in my businesses, I've got new people coming in, I've got paying members coming in, I've got all these different products or courses or programs, and, and they've always had these different logins, they've been all over the place. Now, with Circle, it's in one place. My community can meet there. They can post, I can post, we can use like multimedia posts as well. They can post video or audio, so can I. I can organize things, all of my content in very unique places and grant access to only some people. And of course, I can have my team in there moderating the whole community with me. Everybody needs this. Everyone's trying to build their community, but they struggle. Like what system or what tools do you need to use or have? Trust me, building it out on your own not an option, too expensive, too time consuming. So go to circle.so and check it out. If you're trying to build a community and really maintain control of that community and do a great job serving them and building a business from it, go to circle.so. Hey, I wanted to hop in here and share with you my love for community.com. Every major celebrity uses this. US presidents use this. The biggest companies in the world use this. They give you a 10-digit phone number, but it's kind of like having an inbox for your texting. You can segment it to people um, and they can reply back. And it's just really cool because you can also send video and you can send audio. And it's so beautiful of a design that it's really easy to figure out. You know, I don't like all those other systems that send out like some weird little code that you just know is like a promotion. The reason they called it community.com is because they really believe you have to have a text community in the modern area. Texting adds a whole other level. People open up their texts way more. It's way more you know, effective as a promotional vehicle. And it's something that I deeply, deeply believe in. In fact, I invested in them and I've advised the senior team. I'm telling you what, my audience loves it. It's increased the engagement across everything I do. And you can get a free demo when you go to community.com. Just like it sounds, community.com. Check it out. Hey, it's Brendan from the studio here. I want to jump in one more time and tell you about one of our partners, and that is Kajabi. If you've ever seen any of my marketing online or you have gotten an email from me, or you've just admired kind of what we built by selling, you know, 20 plus blockbuster online courses, 
or where I go live in my membership areas or how I accept money online, now well over $100 million over the years. How do I do all that? I've always used Kajabi. It's spelled K-A-J-A-B-I. And Kajabi just helps online entrepreneurs take flight because we all have to do the same thing, right? We have to figure out, okay, how do I build a web page? How do I capture emails and send emails and funnels and uh, newsletters? How do I put content up that's for free, but also content up that's behind a paywall that I can charge money for? How do I build those membership sites? How do I organize my podcast or my blog? How do I accept money and create checkouts and order bumps and one-click upsells? How does all of that actually work? You know, if you're a life coach, how do you actually talk to a client and connect with them and schedule with them and serve them and give them a member's portal area? If you're teaching online courses, how do you actually put up the course and set up automations to sell the course and to trigger things like an email to go out when they successfully complete one of your modules? Kajabi does all of that. You even get templates that I helped build and I personally wrote to help you write even better emails to your audience. That's at kajabi.com, K-A-J-A-B-I.com. If you wanted the system that most of us in the thought leader or the expert economy really use and we've relied on for years, go to kajabi.com.